If you have a Bible tonight, let me ask you to open to Second Peter, chapter three. Second Peter, chapter three. We'll spend just about ten or fifteen minutes tonight, and uh, I want to continue looking at the authority of Scripture. We uh, we started with it last week, and and uh, we began to we we went through questions and discussion, which is really good. And uh, I'm just going to pick up where I left off, and and we may not get through all of it tonight, but that's okay. Uh, the authority of Scripture. We uh, we. We talked last week briefly that um, that the Word of God is true, that it is authoritative over our lives, and there's there's a lot to back that up. Uh, somebody tell me what are some what are some things that are evidences that the Bible truly is the Word of God? Changes people's lives, still does. That's right. Had a man in Spartanburg uh, several years ago, a few years ago, uh, worked in Seneca and uh, had an apartment over there. And he stayed in all, all during the week. And in that time, he was separated from his family and he wanted to redeem that time. And uh, he, be, he just became convicted um, and he bought a Bible and he would just use that time through the week. And he read through the Bible, reading through the Bible. He was saved. Wasn't going to church anywhere. Didn't have a wife pushing him. He just read the Bible and got saved. And it still changes lives. What else? What are other evidences? Yeah, archaeology. Archaeology continues to validate what, what's written in, in our Bibles. What else? That's true. That's true. Um, about 40 different authors um, written over a few thousand years, multiple continents, and it all says the same thing. It's all in agreement. Uh, and so, yeah, we, there's no way that we could come up with this. Um, and there, there are things in it also. Let me give you a, kind of a reverse of that. There are things in the Bible, let's be honest, if we were trying to come up with it, we wouldn't write it that way, would we? I mean, there's some things that you, you think, well, that's kind of embarrassing. You know, Peter denying Christ three times, rooster crowing. I mean, you think if Peter was part of that whole movement to write the Bible, you think he'd let that get in there? Hey, guys, let's not put that in there. You know, I mean, we, we wouldn't make this up. We couldn't make it up. Yeah. Yeah, fulfilled prophecy. You're right. Uh, these these predictions that were made hundreds or thousands of years ago that have come true. But the predictions made before they came true and then they, they come true. I mean, yes, that's huge. One that maybe maybe we wouldn't say, but science. Science confirms Scripture as the word of God. People often think it's the opposite, but really science is is every day working at proving that the Bible really is the Word of God. Um, we don't have to be afraid that some new discovery in science is going to, at some point, you know, cause this whole deck of cards to come crum- crashing down. Because uh, science is just going to confirm it. Um, you know, the more we discover, the more it validates. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the ultimate point there, is all of these things are, are wonderful, 
They're all helpful, and there's more than that, history and, and all sorts of things. They're all helpful to convince us that the Bible is the Word of God. But ultimately, they're not enough to prove that it is the Word of God. Ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us and shows us that it truly is the Word of God. Well, with that being said, uh, let me just move on to, to a couple of the things. I said to you last week, my job is, uh, when I stand up here to preach or teach, my job is not to impress you with clever stories or to tell you jokes. It's not to entertain you. My job is to take the Word of God, the Bible, open it up for you, explain to you what it is, help to, with the Holy Spirit's help, apply that to your life, and then to say, thus says the Lord, and leave it at that. Uh, you know, it's, it's for me to preach the Word of God to you as the Word of God. Uh, I heard, um, I think it was Ken Davis, a little, little blip on the radio this week. Some of you may have heard it, that he was saying something about, or he was praying, God, uh, make the Word of God come to life tonight. Make your Word come to life for these hearers tonight. And he said he was really convicted over that. He said, you know, all of a sudden he thought, what makes me think the Word of God is dead, that it needs to, be, needs to have life breathed into it? It is alive. What Hebrews 4.12 is all about. And all we've got to do is turn it loose. It's a lion. Let it go. And it will change lives. And that's my responsibility. So my responsibility as your pastor, your preacher, is to preach to you the Word of God as the Word of God. Your job and my job in my own personal devotion is to believe and obey the Word of God as the Word of God. We talked about that in... Um, to, to disbelieve or disobey the prophets in the Old Testament, if you disbelieved them or you disobeyed them, it was the same as disbelieving or disobeying God himself. Well, what makes us think that this is any less? If we read over Scripture and it gives us a command and we ignore that command, we don't obey it or we don't believe it, it's not as if we're just not believing or not obeying some obscure passage in a book. This is the very word of God. This is God speaking to us. And so we, your responsibility, my responsibility is to believe it and obey. So let me give you just quickly um, what happens if we disobey and what happens if we obey. Let me give you just a few of these, okay? Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If we disobey the word of God. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions, that's a prophecy, of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. We are commanded here in this passage not just to listen, but we're commanded to remember. That word remember carries this idea or this connotation of we have a responsibility to believe it and obey it. We have, we have people that come into our church services every single week. And it's as if they're sitting through a show on television or a public service announcement or 
something else. They, they, they don't ever pick it up and do anything with it. Um, I mean, really, I mean, it's it's the it's the equivalent of the Andy Griffith episode where Barney's falling asleep, you know, in, in the in the middle of the sermon. And, and he walks out and he says, that was a great sermon today. Andy says to the pastor, guest guest preacher, it was a great sermon today. And Barney says, yeah, that's one subject you, you just can't talk enough about sin, you know, and he didn't he didn't preach about sin at all. He was preaching about resting, you know, Barney wasn't listening. Barney was falling asleep. <laughs> And I'm afraid that we laugh at Barney. But what we need to do is we need to look in the mirror. Because all of us are, in a lot of ways, sleeping through the Word of God. We don't do anything with it. You know, um, anybody, those of you with children, you ever get frustrated when your children don't, don't do what you've told them to do? Micaiah, why are your shoes still right here in the floor? Oh, I didn't hear you. You mean you didn't hear me all 40 times? You know? We do the same thing to God. So what happens if we don't obey? Number one, church discipline. There's a case for church discipline. Turn back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, in other words, if if someone doesn't obey the word of God, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. We see here the same principle that's taught in Matthew chapter 18 and other places, that there is a place for us to lovingly discipline one another. That when we see a brother or sister who is in disobedience, who is not heeding the word of God, maybe going in direct contradiction to it, our responsibility is to have nothing to do with them, here in this passage it says, so that they might be ashamed. That seems harsh. Because what we want to do is we want to put on a smile and act like everything's good. And then when they leave, we all say, can you believe what he's doing? I can't believe what he's doing. I'm going to pray for him. And what does praying for him do? I'm not doubting the power of prayer, but God has told us to discipline one another in love so that we might win our brother or our sister back. Hadn't he? Yes. If you put these two passages together, Matthew 18, and you take this passage together, you would go to that person 101. You confront them. You ask them to repent. If the person doesn't repent, then you would go and you would take two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses was the legal requirement in order for a complaint to be heard. And if the person still won't repent, then... It says that you tell it to the church. The church is this community. And you, you tell it to the church. And you're telling the church not so that you shame that person and they become your enemy. This text says don't make them your enemy. You tell it to the church so that that person will further experience that conviction and hopefully come back to the Lord. 
till, the, till, till you go through all of that, then, then it says you would separate yourself from them. And what it, what it doesn't mean is that you totally shun the person. What it does mean is that they are excluded from the activities of the corporate body like communion. Um, they're still invited to, to, to come to worship. They're still invited to be in a Bible study, that sort of thing. But they are shunned in those family activities. That makes sense. So one, when we don't obey, we are subject to church discipline. That means that we could be on one of two sides of that. We could be the one being disciplined or we could be the one administering discipline. The second thing that happens when we disobey is not just the discipline from one another, but there is spiritual punishment. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, Verses 3 through 5. I don't have time to share all the passages, but let's look at this one. 1 Corinthians 5, 3 through 5. There is spiritual punishment that comes. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus... You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There is this reality here that we work in tandem with God. When we when we take a person's sin seriously and we exercise discipline, the Lord also is punishing them and he is convicting them, sometimes destroying flesh, sometimes sickness that people fall under. The reality is, sometimes that sickness is because of some sin. Not always, but sometimes it is. They were in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when, it, when they were talking about the Lord's Supper. And so they were coming and they were taking the Lord's Supper in a wrong way, not considering one another, coming in and feasting by themselves. He says to them, why do you think so many of you are sick? The Lord was disciplining them by causing physical illness, and they were ignoring it and continuing with their own sinful fleshly desires. Hebrews chapter 11, or chapter 12, uh, talks about that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and we all know what this feels like. We all know that when we're straying from the Lord, what it feels like if we're truly his child to be taken to the woodshed by our Father. He will discipline you, and it's not a discipline that it is as It's an abusive discipline. It's a loving discipline. It's one where he is chastising you so that you will come back. He will not forsake you, but he will wound you if he has to, to bring you back to him. And then third, let me just give you this. We're out of time. If we obey, if we we disobey, there is church discipline as well as spiritual punishment. But then if we obey the authority of the word of God in our lives, then in some way that really is kind of unexplainable to us, we become God's delight. Turn to Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. And Well, before I, say it, before I read this, I'll just tell you, There is nothing that you and I can do. We tell this to our daughter all the time. There is nothing that you can do 
to make God love you any more than he does. You need to rest in the fact that you are loved not in what you do or don't do, but you are loved because God has graciously decided to in spite of you. Okay? And this is what, this is what I'm trying, we're trying to get our daughter to understand. She, but then she'll come right out of that and she'll say, but, but, but what do I do? See, it's not about doing anything. It's about resting in Christ. But in this verse... Chapter 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles in my word. Trembles at my word. There is this sense of... You can't do anything to make God more pleased with you. But when we, through God's grace, obey his word, tremble at his word, believe his word, our lives are lived differently because we believe his word, then in some way that is beyond our really comprehension, God chooses to delight in us. God chooses to look to us. So I would ask you this question just to close out. Which side of the coin do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the side where there is church discipline and spiritual punishment? Or do you want to be on the side where you become God's delight? I don't want you to hear me preaching legalism here because you can't do anything. But we have been commanded to obey God's word, believe God's word. And I would challenge you to to see God's word as totally true, totally from God, totally authoritative over your life. Okay? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for tonight. God, thank you that we're able to come together as Iris prayed earlier. It's a privilege. God, thank you that we have discussed tonight. We've prayed together tonight. We've opened your word together. God, it's been just a great time here. God, I pray that it would not end when we say amen, but God, that you would continue to build community in this faith family, that um, there would be pockets of conversation that would continue from this point forward. And God, that we would push each other toward godliness, that we would meet together because we know that none of us has arrived yet. And God, all of us are still in desperate need of being changed by the cross and by the empty tomb. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.